Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, Cameron and I will talk about the Gospel according to Matthew from a 30,000-foot perspective. We'll look at the book's basic structure and its relationship to the other Gospels. And we'll also share some tips as Grace begins a new study of the first book of the New Testament. I am excited about our new sermon series in the book of Matthew. Zechariah has been great, and yet I'm very excited for some New Testament as well. I thought we could spend some time just talking about the book of Matthew from 30,000 feet and just get some basic orientation to the book before we get too far into it. So my first question about Matthew would be, how is Matthew as a gospel different from the other gospels? You mentioned this last week. It's it's one of the synoptic different from John in that way, but how is how is Matthew unique as a gospel? It's a good question because sometimes we overemphasize the differences between the gospels, you know, and so you'll hear people say, you know, Matthew is like the the most, let's say Hebrew of the gospels. He's the most focused on the kingship of Jesus as Messiah or something like that. But, but that always suggests that the other gospels aren't really interested in those questions, which isn't true. You know, there's a, a lot of overlap between the gospels, especially the first three, the synoptic gospels. And so uh, at best we can appreciate, you know, slight differences in nuance, that sort of thing. So sure. I think when you're reading Matthew, the, the thing you will notice is the constant emphasis on Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy and, let's say, issues of particular interest to uh, a Jewish audience or, to put it another way, like Old Testament thinkers, right? So that's part of the reason why Matthew is such a good gospel to go to right after finishing Zechariah. Right. Because not only are they really close together with just Malachi between them, but the prophecies and the ethos, the history that we've been bathing in as we've studied Zechariah is all really, really relevant to Matthew's gospel in particular. Is that one of the reasons you chose Matthew as opposed to the other gospels? Yes. Yes. Because I thought, you know, Matthew is going to give us a lot of this all happened so that the prophecy could be fulfilled and mm-hmm. give us those Old Testament connections. And I think it's it's really important these days when a lot of Christians have a tendency to devalue the Old Testament, not to recognize how connected Old and New Testament really are, to see that there is really not a... Uh, a gap or a discontinuity there that that Matthew is immediately picking up the threads and and showing urgently how connected to the Old Testament and its prophecies, everything that happens in the life of Jesus is. Yeah, you know, growing up, I for some reason thought that the Gospels were were just simple 
objective eyewitness accounts of all the events of the life of Christ. And while I do think they are, they are eyewitness accounts, it's more than than simple reporting. And and you you see that right at the start because obviously these authors they believe some things about Jesus and they want us to believe them too. And in Matthew's case, he wants his his Hebrew audience to believe these things about the Messiah as as fulfilled in the Old Testament. Yeah, I think one of the things it's easier to perceive as a writer than it is as someone maybe who's not accustomed to thinking of of the way stories are told is is the way that the gospels are self-consciously constructed. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't record everything. Right? They're selective in what they include and they don't always include the same things. And so you have to assume there's a reason for what is reported for the order that it happens in and that sort of thing. And so oftentimes when people approach the gospels, the big question is, well, why don't they agree on every little detail? Like why aren't they just carbon copies of one another? But I think that really fails to appreciate what they are. You know, they really are distinct accounts with different emphases even though there's a lot of incredible overlap and you know scholars will say there's there's um cross germination and influence Mm -hmm. between the gospel accounts um they intend to tell the story to present jesus in a certain light so matthew i think very clearly at the beginning you can see he is building the the answer to the question of Jesus's identity with certain building blocks. The first one is the genealogy, right? Where he orients Jesus in this line of succession and he connects him inescapably to the covenant promises, the kingdom promises, makes it very clear. Jesus is the Messiah. And then in the birth narrative, he's constantly calling back to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, like making sure that we get that Jesus is the one that we were waiting for. He was the one we were looking for. So he wants us to see this, this continuity so that the, the confidence and faith that we have in the Old Testament promises will lead us to trust in Christ and believe in him. And so it's um, helpful to consider, I, I think, all of what any gospel writer writes in light of that organizing principle. And with Matthew especially, he has a structure that's very unique, you know, very interesting. And once you realize it, you you will get like a, a strong sense of this idea of, of, of the gospels as a literary product. And I assume you're going to draw some more of this out for us as we go these the weeks along. You're, you're talking about structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we won't go like deep in the weeds on it because you can, you, you don't want to miss the, the text for the subtext. Right? right. And so there's a, there's a tendency sometimes to focus so much on structural issues that you miss the, the actual narrative mm-hmm. and what's going on on the surface. But, but I do think by calling attention to the basic structure, you get a better appreciation and especially you get uh, like a sense of like potential difficulties that aren't really difficulties. So 
as an example, people sometimes struggle over comparisons of one gospel to another and the sequence that things happen in or the order in which Jesus says something, right? Mm -hmm. So why does Jesus say it here in this gospel, but then he says it here in this other gospel? Well, when you're reading Matthew's gospel and you understand that, that if you set aside the the beginning and the end, the sort of bookends, and you just deal with the core of it, you have these five blocks that consist of narrative and then discourse. And in the discourse, you have essentially five compilations of the teachings of Jesus. They do have a geographical connection and chronological connection, but they're all kind of grouped together Mm -hmm. um, thematically. And so as a result of that, when Matthew is putting together what Jesus said, he's not necessarily saying to himself, okay, hold on. I've got this happening at the Sermon on the Mount. That's too early. This actually happened later. Mm-hmm. Like he's putting the stuff that goes together together and it's got a more stylized structure to it. Right. So once you get that, then some of those questions, um, they go away and then, in terms of remembering the book and and how it's organized, it kind of helps you know, like, okay, wait, I've got five big discourses. Uh, this one addresses these kind of things. This one addresses these kind of things. And now suddenly you're able to find your way around this gospel in a way that you couldn't before. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really helpful. So I'm, I'm going to be showing up on Sunday expecting to see how Jesus is a fulfillment of these old Testament prophecies. Like, like Matthew wants us. Is there anything else that you hope out of this sermon series that you hope the people of grace get? And is there any guidance or, or um, yeah, I guess just words of wisdom as to how we can prepare our hearts and minds sure. each Sunday before we I come? I mean, on a, on a practical level, just like we did with the Zechariah, I would recommend that you, you get... Uh, a scripture journal, you know, one of the ESV scripture journals that have the text on one side and note taking lines on the other side. Uh, it's a great way to write your own impressions. I always recommend familiarizing yourself with the text before you hear the sermon, because that will make everything make more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, you won't be struggling to 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 grasp the basics of the narrative or something like that if you've already got it in your head so reading through the text and praying through the text in advance is always a really good discipline as well in the same way that during zechariah we recommended you know taking a look at commentaries or something like that if you want to invest in a good commentary on matthew there's a lot of them out there that you can take a look at um I'm reading one now by William Hendrickson. It's an older one, but I really like Hendrickson and I'd recommend that one. Or if you want something more modern, there are plenty of options to choose from. But, but the main thing is just to familiarize yourself in advance and, and to pray over it. And what I mean by that is, as you're working through the text, oftentimes you, you find things in it that, that you want to meditate on and reflect on. I mean, for me, looking at Matthew chapter one, every time I get to verse 21, you know, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, I can't just stop there. You know, I can't just underline it. I've got to really think about it and reflect on it and and pray about that and, and thank 
God for this Savior who has come to save us from our sins, you know? And so if you prepare that way, it really will change the way you receive the sermon. You know, it won't be so much um, a lecture or a (laughs) download of information. It'll be like a shared meditative reflection. On Sunday, you also said that this passage you just referenced about the name of Jesus, it kind of foreshadows the whole person and work of Jesus in a sense that we're talking about God coming to save his people and saving them from their sins. Would you say that that's in some way kind of a whole holistic picture of what Matthew's after in, in the life of Christ? Yes, I think it is. And I think it's, it's often cited by people when they, you know, if you look in your study Bible, when it gives the outline, it'll probably tell you the theme of the book Mm. is based on that verse. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. And a, a good way to think about it would be what we talked about in Sunday school. We were looking at the Westminster Confession, chapter eight, the first section, and in listing the various titles of Christ, it refers to him as the head and savior of his church. And I think that's a good way to think about this. You know, we talked about Christ as the head of the church. The significance of his headship, though, is it is his headship that allows him to act as our representative, to be the one whose righteousness can stand for us. And so his headship is connected to his salvation of his church. And so, as I said in the sermon, there's that, that statement of particularism, right? It's, it's not a general, you know, Jesus has this sort of open-ended desire to save and he really hopes it'll work out. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I mean, Jesus has come to save his people from their sins and he will, and he does. This is what he does. So there's a comfort in that, recognizing that what Jesus came to do, he actually fulfilled and is fulfilling. That's all the time we have for now. If you're interested in following along with our sermon series on Matthew, you'll find each week's message on the Sermons of Grace podcast. Just check graceforsufalls.org for the details. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.